are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Job chapter number 29, let's read verse number 1 down through verse number 7. Tonight I'm praying God will use the the truth, use the message to be a help in somebody. Maybe specifically there's somebody here that needs to hear this tonight. Job chapter number 29, verse number 1. If you're able to stand with me, would you please stand just out of reverence for the word of God. We'll read in verse number 1 and we'll read down through verse number 7. The Bible says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past. As in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, Now, if you and I were to continue down through the text and we would follow through these verses, we would find the theme that begins at the front of the text, continues throughout the remainder of it. And the theme basically is this. Job is looking back from where he is to where he used to be. And in Job's estimation, as he considers his current situation and looks back on what was, he comes to the conclusion that it sure was better before. It sure was better how it used to be. If I could just turn back the page, if I could change what's been done, if I could erase what's been happened, I sure wish that I could just go back. In fact, his heart cries out in verse 2, and he says, Oh, that I were as in months past. What he's saying is, God, I'd give anything if I could just go back. If I could undo that tragedy, if I could erase that trial, If I could take those words and put them back in my mouth, if I could go back, God, I'd go back. And I'm convinced there's probably a lot of folks that live in that same place. All of us probably, if we could, would go back and change some things. Go back and do some things over. Maybe even good things, but you can't. And I want to tell that to Job, and I want to say it to you as kind as I can tonight. You can't go back. Once you say it, it has been said. Once you've done it, it is done. You can't go back and unbury the dead. You can't go back and undo a divorce. You can't go back and change a tragedy after it's happened. It has happened, and you can't do anything about it. But I want to preach tonight. I'd like to preach it to Job, and I want to preach it to us as well. And here's the thought. You can't go back, but I'm glad you can go on. And I'm praying tonight that with the help of God, someone will determine that in their heart, with God helping you, that you'll rise up from those ashes and just go on for God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power, please. I pray that you'd speak through me, speak to, you, to the hearts of your people. God, I pray that you would help like only you can tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul made the statement, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I'm convinced that those who live in victory... And those who live life like an overcomer have come to understand the truth that you and I cannot go back. But I'm glad tonight that we can go on. David couldn't go back. I would say he would have liked to. 
No matter how bad he prayed, he couldn't, or no matter how bad he wanted to, how hard he prayed, he couldn't go back. David couldn't go back to that day that he was the champion of Israel. When he had chosen a stone from the sand, and with that stone, he killed the giant Goliath. David maybe wanted to, but he couldn't go back. He, he couldn't go back and erase the sin he committed with Bathsheba. He couldn't change all the heartache and all the sorrow and all the pain that his mistake, his sin, had brought upon his family. I'd say that if he had the option, if he had the ability, he would have turned back the page and done some things differently, but he could not go back. But I'm glad tonight David could go on, and he did, and God used him as a great king over Israel. Joseph couldn't go back. I'd say at times Joseph would have liked to have gone back. I'd say he would have liked to have gone back to that day he was the most beloved son of his father. He would have liked to have gone back and relive that moment the coat of many colors was draped around his shoulders. No doubt as he sat there in that pit and later in the prison and went through Potiphar's house, he probably thought, if I could change my circumstances, I could just go back. I sure would like to. I just want to go back. But can I say, no matter how bad he wanted it, he couldn't change what had been done. It was done. He couldn't go back. But tonight I'm glad to say he could go on. And God raised him to prominence in Egypt land. I'd say if anybody wanted to go back, it was Peter. But Peter couldn't go back. Peter couldn't go back to that day when on the seaside by Galilee that Jesus called him from his boat to be a fisher of men. Peter couldn't go back to those moments he walked with the Lord. I'd say he'd like to have, but Peter couldn't go back to those days he heard Jesus preached and watched him pray and was there when the miracles took place. I'd say if Peter could have, he would have erased that night when he denied the Lord three times. Probably, if Peter could have his way, he would have gone back and never taken that fishing trip and attempted to leave the ministry. But no matter how bad it haunted him and no matter how bad he wanted to, Peter found out he couldn't go back. It was done, and what's been done is done, and you can't change that, but thank God Peter could go on. And he found out Pentecost was right around the corner. And tonight, you and I have to come to the realization the times of months past are just that. They are past it is over. It is done. And you and I cannot change what's happened yesterday, but thank God all of us can go forward by faith in God. In fact, tonight, I think our life ought to be characterized by the old hymn that says, Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna. Can I say you don't find victory looking back? You don't find joy looking back. You won't find peace by looking back. You can't find fulfillment by looking back. Looking back is not where you find the will of God, but go forward by faith into the will of God. You can't go back and undo, I say again, a tragedy, and you can't go back and unbury that loved one. You can't go back and erase a, an embarrassing moment. You can't go back and put words back in your mouth that have been spoken. None of us have the ability to go back this evening, but I'm glad all of us have the ability with God, just like Job, to go on with the help of the Lord. Now, few men tonight knew the riches and the blessings that Job knew. But let me say also, few men had to endure the trial that Job had to endure. Job was a man who was known both to man and God alike. The Bible said Job was a perfect man. He was a man who loved God and he hated or eschewed evil. Now, Job was a blessing because Job not only walked with God, but what I like about Job is he also led his family to walk with God as well. And can I say it'd be a good day for you and I, men in our homes, to get back in that leadership position to set the bar and set the, uh, the pace spiritually and lead our families to walk and worship God. Now, Job didn't live a sinless life, but thank God he lived a spiritual life. And you find that God blesses the life of Job. 
Everybody I found wants to be blessed, but not many people want to live blessable. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you find the blessings of God usually lie, always lie on the pathway of obedience to the will of God and the word of God. You study it out and you'll find that Job had many assets. To his name, the Bible said he had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and the Bible said a very great household. In fact, the Bible says in verse 3 of Job chapter 1, he's the greatest of all the men in the East. In today's financial figures, Job is worth millions and millions of dollars. This man isn't slumming it. He's not just scraping by. He's not searching the couch cushion to try to find spare change to pay his bills at the end of the month. He's not living in a shack on the wrong side of town, but this man is capital B, blessed beyond measure. Job loved God, and in return, God loved on this man by the name of Job. But tonight, the reason I know Job and the reason you know about Job is not because of his bank account. When I think about Job, I don't think about his 401k and I don't think about all the money and all the things that he had. But when I hear the name Job, immediately I think about the trial, the test, the sorrow that Job had to endure. Now you know the story. There was a day when the devil came and stood before the Lord. The Bible said the devil had been running to and fro in the earth. And can I say he was up to no good then and he's up to no good tonight. And still yet the devil is our adversary and he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. While the devil and God are in conversation, Job comes up. Wouldn't you like to have the kind of Christian life that God just brings up in conversation? And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, by and by, God gives the devil uh, the ability or access to the life of Job. A trial comes to Job. I mean, a trial unlike anybody has ever endured outside of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. When you read the first two chapters of the book of Job, you find his trial. In summary, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Just hit the highlights. First, Job receives word that his oxen and his asses had been stolen away by a group of robbers. And the servants who watched them had been murdered. Before that message can be finished, another report comes to Job that fire has fallen from heaven and burned up his sheep and killed the servants who watched the sheep. After that, another message comes to Job, and Job hears the Chaldeans had come and stolen away his camels and killed the servants who'd been watching his camels. Then, probably the hardest blow that could ever land upon the heart of a man comes to this man by the name of Job. I can see it in my mind as a servant runs and frantically and out of breath says, Job, I, I don't want to tell you this. I, I don't want to be the one to bear this kind of news. But Job, your children, your seven sons and three daughters were all together in a house. And Job, as they sat there in that house, Job, the wind began to blow and the roof gave way and the pillars fell. And Job, all your sons and all your daughters are dead. Can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine the sorrow? Can you imagine the pain that this man is now feeling? His flocks are gone. His wealth is gone. His servants are dead. His children are dead. One after the other. Before he can even wrap his mind around the first, the next report comes. The next report comes. Have you ever heard this statement, when it rains, it pours? And if it couldn't get any worse, the devil turns his attention from Job's flocks and Job's fields to Job's flesh. And the Bible says that Job is afflicted from the top of his head to the soles of his feet with sore boils. 
All over this man, there are burning, oozing, excruciating sores. So much so is the pain that Job sits down in a pile of ashes, mourning, takes a broken piece of pottery and begins to scrape his flesh to try to find a moment of relief. Consider this man. He's gone from the mountain, if you will, to the valley. He's gone from being so blessed to being broken. He had it all, and now it's all been stripped away, and it doesn't stop there. His wife, the one who should have been nearest and dearest to his heart, looks at Job, and she's so disgusted by the spectacle of her husband that she tells him to curse God and die. She looks at her husband and said, Why don't you just kill yourself? Then his friends come, his closest friends. And they stare at Job. They can't even think of anything to say. It's so bad that for seven days they just stare at him. And then finally they open their mouth and they don't comfort Job, but rather they accuse Job of sinning and bringing the wrath and judgment of God upon his life. Can I say that's quite a storm, isn't it? That's quite a trial. You ever had anything in your life go that way? I mean, just not go the way that you thought it should? Not work out the way you'd planned it? Can you see Job sitting there with those sores all over his body? I mean, scraping himself with a piece of pottery, his wife nagging, his friends accusing, his baby's dead. I mean, he'd have to dig 10 graves for his 10 children, attend 10 funerals for his 10 children. This is a broken man. And I just imagine that as Job sat there in those ashes, everything stripped away, his mind probably went back. That was before all this took place. I'd say as he sat there in that current situation, his mind probably drifted back to better days. Maybe he envisioned in his mind his home. And he looked in his, the eye of his mind, he could see his table, and his table was filled with food. All over that table, so much food you couldn't fit another plate on the table. Around the table, his servants were gathered, and he could, in his mind, hear their conversation as they talked about the work they did that day in the field. Maybe his mind went back further and he could hear the sound of little feet pattering through the halls of his home. And he remembered those moments when his now dead adult children were just little kids running through the house. Maybe he remembered the times when the girls would crawl up in their daddy's lap and kiss him on the cheek and say, I love you, daddy. Maybe he could remember those moments of walking through his fields with his sons and he said, one day this will all be yours. He thought about his home in pristine condition and how it was. And he said, I used to have joy and now I have sorrow. I used to have peace and now my heart's in turmoil. I used to have my family and now my family's been stripped away. I used to be the envy of everyone, the greatest of men. And now they say I'm a sinner and I've brought the judgment of God on my life. And as Job looked back, his summation is, I sure wish it could be how it used to be. And then you come to chapter 29 and Job is responding to one of his friends. And as Job is in response to this man uh, by the name of Eliphaz, he begins to run this theme, if you will, the best is behind me. If you read the text in chapter number 29 throughout this chapter in the Bible, he talks about how good God had been, how good God was, 
how it used to be before this temptation, this trial came knocking at the door of his life. You read on and he begins to say, I remember how it was when the candle of God shined upon my head when by his light I walked through darkness. He's saying, boy, God was good to me yesterday. I remember, he said, when the rock poured me out rivers of oil, boy, God was good to me yesterday. I can remember, it was like he washed my steps with butter. Boy, God was good to me yesterday. He said, the old men wanted to uh, be like me. The young men respected me. Kings would step aside. When I walked by, I was sight to the blind. I was hearing for the deaf. I was the greatest of all the men in the east. Oh, I wish I could go back to how it was. And I see him sitting there now. His home is unkept. Those tables are no longer filled with servants. All of his servants are dead. Maybe there's dust upon that banquet table where once his family fellowshiped. He doesn't hear the sound of little feet pattering through his home now. Now he hears the echoing voice of his wife from the far end of his home. Why don't you kill yourself, Job? Are you dead yet? He looks out a window and there on the hillside, maybe he sees the ten markers that signify the ten spots where his seven sons and three daughters now lie dead in the ground. He used to look out and see his fields full with, filled with produce. Now his fields are fallow ground. He used to hear the lowing of the oxen and the bell chiming around their neck. And now that bell lies idle in the field. All of his flocks, his camels, his sheep, uh, the, the, the donkeys, all of that's been taken away. And Job is sitting there a broken man, a bankrupted man, an afflicted man with boils all over his body. And the wording of verse number two, it's not a casual cry. It's not just Job flippantly crying out. But he says, oh, what is he doing? He's literally pouring out his soul upon the page of Scripture He's bearing himself out before God. And he's saying, oh God, I wish I could undo what's been done. Oh God, I wish my babies weren't dead. God, I wish I had my family back. God, I wish this affliction wasn't all over my body. God, I just want to go back. Now tonight you and I have a blessing of knowing the full story. We understand that God is God yesterday. Thank God he's God today and he'll still be God tomorrow and forever. And we can see that Job's story, thank God, doesn't end in the ashes, doesn't end in boils, and doesn't end broken, but God blesses him. And I'd like to crawl in this story and say, Job, listen, you can't live where you're living. You can't live there in those ashes. You can't survive there amongst the broken pottery. You won't find joy there. You won't find fulfillment there. You won't have the victory there. You can't be on the winning side there. Job, you've got to get up. You've got to rise up. You've got to get up and go on, Job. You can't live there. But listen, Job, you can go forward. God is not done. God is not through. God has a plan for your life. Job, get up. Job, go on. The God that blessed you could bless you again. The God that used your life could use you again. The God that was good is still alive and well, and he's good now. He doesn't live in the past. He's ever present. God can use you, Job. Rise up. Go on. But can I say that's easy preaching? But that'd be hard to believe when you're sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping your body with a piece of pottery, Dead babies, a nagging wife, accusing friends, and no money. We have the luxury of reading the whole thing, but Job's at the eye of the storm. And can I say, oftentimes I think when we preach, we preach to people that are sitting where Job is sitting. And they're not serving God today because of whatever it was yesterday. 
And they don't have joy today because of whatever from yesterday. And they have no vision today because of whatever from yesterday. Let me apply it. I think there's a lot of folks who are in a prison tonight. And they built that prison themselves, and that prison is called your past. You're held fast by an anchor tonight, and that anchor is simply called your past. You've bottomed out in the ditch, and you're not going anywhere for God, and that ditch is called your past. And you, not God, but you have resigned yourself to a seat on the sideline, not in the game for God, because you can't get off of what it was yesterday. Can I tell you, I don't try, I'm not trying to be unkind, and I need as much as you do, but you can't change what's already happened. You ever met those people before they always have to talk about that one thing? I mean, that one trial, they can't get over it. That one victory, they can't get over it. And because they're so backward looking, they can't do anything for God today. I'm talking about parents who wish they could go back. I sure wish I would have done better raising my son. If I could go back, I'd have spent more time throwing the ball with him. I would have taught him how to work the lawnmower. I would have done this. I would have done that. I wish I could go back. Can I tell you, sir, you can't go back. Honestly, we should have done it right the first time. But thank God you could go on. And you could resolve today, I'm going to be the kind of father I ought to be. Mother, you can't go back. I wish I could go back and rear that daughter again. Boy, I'd do it different if I could go back. And I said, you can't go back. But thank God tonight you could resolve, I'm going to be the right kind of mother from here on out. And you can go on. Might be some spouses here, some husbands. If I could go back, I wouldn't have said that to her. I wouldn't treat her that way. I would have come home after work. Hello. I would have told her I loved her. Can I say, you can't go back. And if you try to, you're going to kill yourself and drive yourself crazy. But you could resolve tonight by the grace of God to go forward and be the right kind of husband here on out. Sis, you can't be, listen, I wish I could go back and be a better wife to my husband. I shouldn't have said that to him. I shouldn't have called him lazy. I should, have, I should have spent more time there. I should have told him I loved him. You can't go back. I was on an airplane one time with a man, and we were flying from Detroit, Michigan to somewhere. I can't remember where, and he asked me if I was married, and I said, I, I was. I haven't been home for a week. I hope when I get home I'm married. But anyway, I was. She was there. She's here tonight. But anyway, we were flying together, and he said, he said I'll give you a piece of advice. I said, what's that? He said, if, if you're married, he said, buy your wife flowers. I said, why? He said, buy your wife flowers. He said, because if you don't, somebody else is going to. I thought, what a statement. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I found out the hard way. He said, I didn't treat my wife the way I should have. And he said, I'm divorced. He said, I wish I could go back and do it over again. And he battled with that. Can I say, I believe there's people like that. Can I, tonight, it's time to take the key, put it in the lock, open the door and walk on for God. Lift your anchor and sail on for God. Get out of the ditch and drive on for God. You need to go on from that graveside maybe. Go on from that disease. Go on from that argument. Go on from that, those words that you shouldn't have said. You can't go back and change what's happened. But listen, don't miss the goodness of God today and the will of God for today and the blessings of God that wait for you in the pathway of tomorrow by looking back. Let me give you three words to consider and we'll be through. Number one, think about these three words. Job could go on. Why? Number one, because he has sufficient grace. 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 That word sufficient means adequate for the purpose. 
Now you're probably thinking, Brother Cooper, where do you see grace in the story of Job? Have you ever read it before? You see, that's a story full of sorrow and heartache and pain and suffering. I understand that. That's on the surface. But I think that if we go a little deeper than surface, we see that this story is not so much a story of suffering and pain and all of those things, but this is a story of God's sufficient and amazing grace. Grace is the spring of every good thing that flows into your life from the hand of God. And can I say God's grace is infinite because He is. And God's grace is boundless because He is. And God's grace is sufficient because He is. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, the Bible says, And He said unto me, My grace is, not might be, but is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect, not in victory, not in good times, but perfect in weakness. And here's Job. Job is in the midst of trial. He's surrounded by heartache and he's surrounded by turmoil. He's in that storm of pain and suffering. His life is in shambles, but don't miss it. Simultaneously ever, he's encompassed by the amazing, sufficient grace of God. The devil might be able to strip him of his flesh, but he couldn't take grace from Job. He could take his flocks and his finances, but he could not take the grace of God from the life of Job. You say, where do you see grace? Grace is not just in the food you eat. Or the clothes you wear. We always say, God's been good. I got shoes on my feet. and That's good. I'm glad for that. But grace is not just in things. That's just who God is. Grace does not take tears away, but thank God it makes them more bearable. Grace doesn't take pain away, but thank God it'll make it more bearable. Grace might not make the storm end any sooner, but thank God it helps us weather that storm. And you study the life of Job and you find out in the midst of his trial, guess what? He's still breathing. That's grace. He still had eyes that could see. That's grace. He still had hands and feet. He still had a mouth to glorify God. Can I say that is grace? Job made a statement. He said, I know I came in this world naked. He said, I'll go out of it naked. He said, he said the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He said, how can you say something like that? I'll tell you how you say something like that. That's the grace of God working in that man's life. I like it. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth. That's the grace of God working in that man's life. Can I say the grace of God is there in the hospital room as much as it is in the revival service. The grace of God is there in the bad times as much as it is in the, in the, in the good times. And thank God we can go on because of grace. What is grace? Grace is like a balm when you're broken. It's like water when you're thirsty. It's like bread when you're hungry. It's like a sword when you're in the midst of battle. The grace of God you ever been in those situations before where your family's going through it and then all of a sudden there just comes that peace that passes all understanding? That word sufficient, I said, means adequate for the purpose. You know what that means? You name what it is and the Apostle Paul would respond, yep, grace is enough. You name it. Grace is enough. Tell me what it is. You don't know what it is. I don't need to know. I know what grace, the Bible says it's sufficient. That means it's enough. You lay down on Dr. Paul's couch and let him, let him prescribe you a shot of grace in the morning, a double shot of grace in the afternoon, then another one before you go to bed at night. You say, but you don't understand. I've buried a loved one. I understand it hurts, but God said my grace is sufficient. You say, but I lost a job. I don't know how we're going to make the end. God said my grace is sufficient for thee. But you don't understand. The only reason that we live where we're living is because we want to, not because we have to. Because if you'll let the grace of God be the grace of God in your life, you could get up and go on from whatever that was. I remember reading the illustration where Charles Spurgeon had been preaching and he was discouraged. I guess he probably was preaching to a crowd like this tonight. I don't know. But anyway, he was discouraged. I used to travel around America and I always say this. This is a great looking crowd. And then I got glasses. 
And so then I traveled around like the next year apologizing to everybody for lying in the pulpit. But anyway, just kidding. This is a great look. Um, Charles Persian was uh, traveling, and he was discouraged. And as he was discouraged riding home in his carriage, he thought about that verse that I quoted a minute ago, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he said, I began to laugh and think, I guess it is, Lord. He said, it made unbelief so absurd. He said, for me, it seemed like a little minnow going to the great sea and saying, I'd like to take a drink, but I'm afraid I'll drain the ocean dry. He said, or it's like a mouse going to Joseph in those years of famine in Egypt and saying, I'd like to take a bite of your grain, but I don't want to rob all of Egypt from its grain. He said, it's like a man who climbed to the top of a mountain and feared to take a breath that it might rob all the oxygen out of the atmosphere. And he said, it made unbelief so absurd. And can I say, that's a great illustration, but God's grace is even greater than that. You can't exhaust it. You don't find the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the grace of God. And tonight you can go on because of grace. Number two, think about this. You can go on because of growth. Growth. We often talk about God building a church, God building a bus route, God building a Sunday school, and that's fine. But can I say, God is not as interested not God is not as interested in building a bus route or a Sunday school class or a church as he is in building you. Hello. Because God knows if he can get you to grow, the other stuff kind of helps take care of itself. You say, how is there growth in the book of Job? Job isn't having a revival meeting. He's not winning souls. What do you mean? I'm talking about this. Just like the kiln perfects the pot or, or that sculptor has to sculpt away at that stone or like that pressure produces the diamond, God often uses trial and testing and these kind of times in our life to help make us more like Jesus. The Bible says in the book of James that we're to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Why is that? He said, let patience have her perfect worth that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You say, I don't see any growth here. Can I say growth is not always external visible? In fact, that's probably cheaper growth than the kind God is interested in in my life and yours. The best kind of growth might not be branches upward, outward. They might be roots down deep that nobody knows but God. And can I say, there's some things you can't learn on the mountain. You can only learn those things in the valley. There's some things you can't learn when you have a bunch of money in the bank. You only learn them when you have to have God come through and meet the need. You study farming, and you'll find out that most farmers, when they, when they have, when they, my grandpa used to have a, a farm and things, and you want to grow those crops where the sun can hit it because that light helps life be produced. A physical farmer grows his best crops in the sunlight, but can I say God grows his best Christians in the shadows? If I had my way spiritually, I would take victory, blessing, and all those things every day. But God knows what I need, and what I need is not always the same thing as what I want. I'll use the all y'all remember from what I preach here is the ice cream thing. That's what everybody wants to say. I eat mint ice cream. I want to say, be quiet. You know, it's a, this stuff's horrible. Remember, I preached on that, and everybody wants to say, I eat chocolate chip mint ice cream. Let me give you another ice cream illustration. When I was growing up, that's what I would have had for every meal. If my parents would have let me, I would have had ice cream for every meal. I don't care what flavor it was. It could have been vanilla. It could have been chocolate. It doesn't matter. I would have had it for every meal. It's good, isn't it? It's sweet. I like it. It's hard to mess it up. I like ice cream. But my parents believed in capital punishment, so they'd make us eat vegetables. And I'll tell you where my parents probably succeeded and where we're failing is they'd make me sit there until I ate everything on my plate. I'm telling you, it was cruel. We could not get up till we cleaned our plate. 
You better pray for my brother. He's like 34 and still at the table, and it's embarrassing. We go home, and eight, my brother's still sitting there at the table. He won't clean his plate. But she'd make us eat different things, like peas. Anybody like those? Wow. All right. Broccoli. I like broccoli now, but I didn't like it back then. Where are you at, Robert? I mean, Brussels sprouts. My opinion on Brussels sprouts is if it smells that bad before it enters your body, it probably not, not enter your body. And it's a scientifically proven fact. You can only chew those kind of things so long for it will not be swallowed. Some of y'all having flashbacks. You're like twitching like, oh, my word. Remember that? You had those same kind of parents? I mean, the dog, you would do that yawn with the napkin thing, but you know, and get, try to get it to the dog, and the dog won't even eat the Brussels sprout. <laughs> but they'd make us eat those things. I hated that. But here's where my parents were a little bit wiser than I was. I wanted the ice cream because it was sweet and it tasted good, but there was stuff in those vegetables that just wasn't in the ice cream. And if I was going to get strong and grow the way I was supposed to grow, I had to get the stuff from the vegetables. Now, I liked the vegetables, but I, or the ice cream, but I needed the vegetables. You and I, if we're not careful, are like that spiritually too, and we want God to give us ice cream every day. But can I say, God is not simply in the blessing business, He's in the bettering business. And the goal of God is to make you and I more like Jesus. And God doesn't come in our life like a random bolt of lightning that flashes out of nowhere, strikes a tree, and destroys it. But God has precision and skill. And like that sculptor, he strikes at us just how he wants to make us who he'd have us be. And here it is. When you go through trials and you go through testing, you'll fail every time if you go through asking God why. Why don't you just go through it saying, God, what? What are you trying to teach me in this? I believe in Job, you'll find that there's a better version of Job at the end than there was at the beginning. I believe his character was tested and came out stronger. His faith was tested and it came out stronger. His prayer life was tested and it came out stronger. In fact, Job, throughout the book of Job, is in conversation with God. It drew his heart heavenward just to be in that trial. And I promise you, if you'll step back and look and just trust God, you'll see that God had a purpose, God had a plan, and God had a scheme to help you grow in grace through whatever it was, and you can go on. Number one, think about that word, grace, sufficient grace. Growth, and lastly, I like this word, good, good. You read the last chapter of Job, and the Bible says that God blessed the end of his life, the latter part of Job, more than his beginning. Job 42, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. Now listen, that's twice as many. 6,000 camels, twice as many. 1,000 she has. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, when you and I think about the book of Job, we think about that trial. But can I say, bookending the trial of Job is a time of being blessed and then a time of being doubly blessed. Job went from being blessed to being broken, but thank God he went back to being blessed again. But can I say, if Job had failed to rise up and go forward, he might have missed out on what God could do in his life. I believe that there's a lot of Christian folks who aren't living the abundant life. They have life, but not life more abundantly. They don't know the joy of walking with God because they're sitting there held fast by a ball and chain of whatever it was yesterday, good or bad, and they're missing what God wants to do in your life today. 
Not just negative, even good. I hear it all the time. I sure wish it's how it used to be. Well, it isn't. And I'm glad it's not. I don't like shag carpet, wood paneling. Bell bottoms, I don't think either. I don't know. Eight, eight, what, is those, what are those things called? Anyway, eight, but anyway, it's not. But can I say if God blessed then, don't you think he can still bless today? But you know, there's a lot of churches dying because they just want to look back and thank God for what he's done and not trying to do anything for God now. I'm glad for what God's done, but I can't live off of moth-eaten testimonies and yellowed memories of what God used to do. I need God to move in my generation. I need God to move today. And listen, God that blessed can bless. If God sent revival, he can still send revival. If God built a church, he can still build a church. If God can save sinners, he can still save sinners. If they can run buses and fill, we can still get it done today. If America could be impacted by churches and Christians and others, we can still make a difference in our day. Hey, don't handicap God just because we don't have the faith to trust him. Hello, go on, go on. You say, I used to have joy. I wish I could get that joy back. You can't get that joy back, but you could find new joy. I wish I could go back to how, you're never gonna be able to go back to how it was. But if you just trust God, you might find out it's even better what he has planned for you down the road ahead. Don't miss out on what God wants for your life now. Because of whatever it is that you can, th it's in your mind right, right now while I'm preaching to you. You're thinking about whatever it is. Don't miss out on what God has for you now because of whatever that was then. Put the key in the lock, open the door, and walk on for God. Lift your anchor, sail on for God. All things work together for good, don't they? It's like the illustration, I'll close, where the men were in the bottom of a ship and the ship was tossed in a storm at sea and they were scared to death they were going to capsize. They were heading toward rocks and they thought for sure they were going to drown. And one of the men said, let me go check on the captain. And one of the men sneaked up to where the captain was and he walked into the captain's office and he looked and there was the captain at the stern of the ship with his hand on the stern, staring it slowly, inch by inch, away from the rocks. Now you couldn't have seen it, you couldn't feel it, but it didn't change the fact he was doing it. That man began to walk out to go encourage the fellows downstairs. And as he did, the captain turned around. They caught each other's attention. And the captain just looked at him and smiled like, I've got this under control. He went downstairs and said, fellas, we're going to be all right. He said, the captain's still at the stern and he even smiled at me. Can I say, sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to believe it. But it doesn't change the truth of Scripture that God's hand is ever at the stern of life. And little by little, God is always directing your life toward good you say what's that his will his purpose and you can trust him lee robertson used to quote the poem my father's way may twist and turn my heart may throb and ache but in my soul i'm glad i know he maketh no mistake thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from north valley baptist church in santa clara california led by pastor jack treber for more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.